Good morning, afternoon, evening, midnight snack to everybody out there in the podcast world. Kyle and Derek back with you. Another episode of the How Not to Be a Youth Pastor podcast. What is your midnight snack of choice? So I don't frequently or ever wake up in the middle of the night. Good. The Lord has blessed me with a beautiful circadian rhythm. Um, I, what I did the way you just presented that I was not ready for circadian rhythm to come out of your mouth. <laughs> I don't know. Like I, I mean, I have a kid on the way, so this is all going to go downhill sure. real quick, <laughs> but I, congratulations, by the way, I don't know if we've ever you. congratulated you on the podcast. We've mentioned okay, it. We okay. mentioned it on the uh, camp episode. That's right. Okay. That's but, right. Uh, yeah, no, I have, uh, always slept pretty well. I've never had a ton of trouble getting to sleep or, you know, waking up for hours and hours in the middle of the night. My wife is the opposite, which breaks my heart, but I, my wife can hear a gnat fart. (laughs) And at the same (laughs) time, what does that sound like? It's, I don't know. You have to ask her, but a bomb could go off in my front yard. I'd still sleep through it. So I, I resonate with you on that. Yeah, no, I'm the same way. And I think that, uh, (laughs) <laughs> the the piece that kind of terrifies me a little bit uh, as we prepare for child number one here is that very fact. Like mm-hmm. kid starts crying in the middle of the night and I know that there are dads that just fake sleeping through it. <laughs> and I, I don't want to present that idea uh, even if it's I'm actually sleeping through it. Uh, so we'll see how it goes. But Here's what I'll tell you. All that to say, I don't frequently snack in the middle of the night. As a dad of two, I'm, let me just tell you this. Even if you do genuinely sleep through it, our wives have very sharp elbows and very strong <laughs> wrists in which it, when it's our turn, they let us know. So don't worry about that one. That's fair. That's fair. Anyways. Um, Rabbit trail number one. Here we go. So before we got talking about midnight snacks, our quick question for the episode was going to be, uh, you know, we, a lot of times our quick questions are really practically yeah. based for the episode. Derek, you got any pets? We, we talk about pets sometimes in passing, but I wanted to, you know, give the listeners a little behind yeah. the curtain peek here. hundred percent. hundred percent. Um, do my kids count as pets? I'm going to let you answer that one. <laughs> And CPS just got called on me. <laughs> um, no, uh, so two kids, but they're they're great. We I've talked with them in excess, but we have we have three animals, one on the way. And you're like, what the heck does that Aww, mean? Pregnant! <laughs> Yay! Congratulations! We have two cats, and they are my wife's absolute babies. Uh, my cats and I have a working relationship. They tolerate <laughs> me. Uh-huh. I tolerate them. And, uh, so it, that's about where that ends. Uh, I did love my cats a lot more and then I got a dog and, um, he is my dude. So, uh, two cats, they're five years old. Oh, I think, no, they're six now. Uh, and then I have a, you're not going to share like names or well, anything? I probably or, should. Come on, colors. Yeah. So we have, we have the ginger, the orange cat. 
His name is not Ginger. He just, he's got red hair. Uh, so his name is Lewis, named after C.S. Lewis. Uh, he was really inspired by him as an author when he came into this earth. And then we Makes have sense. Fitzgerald, who is named after F. Scott Fitzgerald. We named what? Cats no, I didn't of, see that coming. After uh, authors. Um, Fitz, or as I affectionately call him, Fats, because he is a fat, big, large cat. Um, Fats is... Uh, <laughs> He is the dominant one in the household. He thinks he runs the show, and uh, and he is a large cat. So he kind of just does his own thing. Uh, he's also known as Batman because his ears go east and west, and so he just kind of like looks kind of cool. Uh, but then you have Oakley, and he is my dude. Uh, he's a two-and-a-half-year-old golden retriever uh, that I trained to be my duck dog, and so we spend a lot of time training. Uh, actually, it wasn't you know super long ago here where I was out in the front yard with a dead duck, uh, you know, just getting him ready for the season and throwing him a dead duck, and a little neighbor kid walked by and goes, is that a duck? <laughs> I just have a dead duck in my hand. So I was like, oh man. Uh, so uh, those are our three pets as they stand. Um, we will always have two cats that has been established in our household by my wife. It doesn't matter if one dies. Um, if they both die suddenly and unexpectedly, uh, we will have two more shortly thereafter because she loves cats but that wasn't depressing at all i know um i i, I kind of said that maliciously like if the cats should disappear oh uh, no i picked up on that <laughs> okay <good>. absolutely <laughs> um but then uh what i say on the way is we actually have a deposit down on a a uh, black lab that's going to get here around 2024 uh he's coming from a legitimate breeder um that is just fantastic with duck hunting and uh so we'll get him here in the next year and a half or so just out of curiosity yeah actually i have a lot of questions pet related for your household coming up to my mind the first question is how many dogs does derek plan on getting and in conjunction with that, how many dogs is Meg letting Derek get? Um, I would never do more than two. Okay. I would never do more than two. Um, quite frankly, I would probably be good with one. Uh, the reason I we are getting another one is I love my golden retriever. He's awesome. Um, but he is not, um, he's not exactly what I kind of had pictured in terms of like, like golden retrievers are really good family dogs and they're really, really good dogs, but they're also insanely hyper. Um, and like just all over the place, which, you know, you saw a few weeks ago when you came to my house to record, but, um, at the same time he, he gets the job done hunting, but literally the next dog I have is bred to hunt. And so, um, Odds are when Oakley does pass away, um, I'll probably just have my one dog for a while. Um, but at the same time, this is where this would be subject to change. The reason that you have two is because um, duck hunting dogs like reach their prime by the time they're eight or nine. After that, their joints start to fail and they start, it's just, it's, it's like Tom Brady playing football, right? Like he gets the job done now, but 10 years from now, I, you never know. He Ten might still be from playing. Now he will still be playing yeah. football. <laughs> but you know, it's one of those things that I always want to have a dog who I can take hunting. And so you have to kind of think like you need a two or three year window to kind of get them ready to go to to make that transition. So, I, but I would never do more than two. It's just it would be just pure chaos. So I like it. Yeah. All right. How about you, uh, sir? Yeah. So we, my wife and I, have two cats as well. Um, we, they, names, they are siblings. Um, we have a, 
a ginger apparently is what we're calling them. Yeah. Uh, he's, he's like orange on top and white on the bottom. Basically, uh, his, uh, his, we call him Macklin. Uh, his full name, uh, is Bert Tyrannosaurus Macklin. Uh, where is that from? That what is, is that coming, drawing from? coming from the uh, great TV show Parks and Rec. Uh, Chris Pratt's character, Andy Dwyer has an alter ego who is a FBI agent called Bert Macklin. Hilarious. Um, by the way. and so it's, oh, it's great. And so, yeah, that's uh Macklin, uh, is our, is cat number one. And then we also have a, I think it's technically a calico colored yeah. cat, except she is, is uh, she a calico though? Well, technically calico, according to the internet that I looked up while you were talking earlier, cause I knew I was going to have to answer this. <laughs> uh, according to the internet, calico just means that it's any cat with tricolors. Interesting. And she does have black, brown, and white. Okay. But most calico cats are like 25 to 75% white. Yeah. And she's like 2% white. Nice. And so like, it's, it's pretty much all black with just a little bit of white and then some brown. Um, and so she, uh, her name is Frankie. Uh, and our Macklin, like I've, I've seen like Fitz is huge. Yeah. All right. Your cat is huge. That's why but, we call him Fats. But as big as he is, I think that Macklin's bones are like, he is a thick boned cat. <laughs> His paws are huge. We joke that he's really just a dog, uh, <laughs> because he is like he, and, and he is the scaredest cat you've ever seen in your life. Yep. Um, it's funny cause like they're indoor cats yep. whenever they, they, they love to try to get outside. Uh, whenever he gets outside, he walks two steps down off out of our door mm-hmm. and just starts rolling around on the pavement. Yep. That that's all that he ever does when he gets I've seen outside. it. It's hilarious because like he like bolts for the door like he's on a mission and then as soon yep. as he gets two steps away he just rolls over. He just on his back just rolling around. Mm-hmm. It's it's the funniest thing. Uh but yeah, so we we got them. They were quarantine cats. Uh, Michaela's nice. parents had a cat that had five kittens and they were like, Hey, do you want one? And we were like, sure. And then we were like, ah, we can't just get one. They need a friend. Uh, so we ended up getting two and they're, they're absolutely hilarious. Um, I have an intentional question for you. Okay. Bring it on. Do both your cats have full length tails? Hmm. <laughs> that is pointed. Uh, I, I, so. It adds character to your cast. I, I, I figured you, you'd want oh, to sh- share the story because it was probably one of the more like stressful, annoying nights of your no, no. Pet this life. was this was a. I had there. There are four of us in our house, right? Two cats, two humans. Yep. There was a week period where I was the only one not to have surgery. <laughs> um. So <laughs> what happened was. Uh, so Frankie, we knew like she had to get spayed at some point. Mm -hmm. And so we scheduled that. Um, I believe if I remember correctly, it was the night before, uh, she had her appointment, uh, which was a, so her appointment was a Wednesday morning. Yep. So Tuesday night, my wife and I are like, we're tired. We're headed, headed to bed. And our, I close our bedroom door and our cat's tail got pinched in Mm -hmm. the door and he freaked out and 
you know, moved. Yep. I opened the door back up and the, it looks like a murder scene. There's blood everywhere. Oh, it basically man. skinned his tail. Uh, if you can imagine, this got really graphic really quick. And so there's like blood splatter everywhere. Our listeners are like hitting the 30 right? second forward button. <laughs> I'm still going to be talking about this in 30 seconds. Uh, and so he, uh, he kind of skinned his tail. This is at like 11, 11, 15, 11, 30 at night, whatever Naturally. it was. Yep. And so we finally, we got to the point where he, we basically shut him in the bathroom in order to then figure out what to do. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, Mm -hmm. And so I ended up taking him uh, in to have surgery on his tail. Uh, And they, it was funny now because they kept calling it an amputation. (laughs) They, they basically ended up cutting off about two inches, two or three inches of his tail. Sure. And so, no, my cat, my one cat, Macklin, does not have all of his tail. Uh, You can't tell unless you're looking at both of our cats next to each other. Sure. Uh, You can tell the one is- And he's fine now he runs around. He's fine, yep. But the story continued. This is going to be such a long intro to this episode. The story you asked, though- I did, and it was very intentional. (laughs) Yeah, the the story continues the next morning- uh, so this is like, I take him in at two in the morning yep. and, and pick him back up at four in the morning yep. or something like that. $2,000 poorer. No, nah, it wasn't quite that bad, but it was, it's <laughs> e- funny because emergency bills are disgusting. My wife and I had the conversation before we got cats. Like what is that dollar amount yep. where if, if this, something goes wrong medically and we have to spend X amount of money, then we're just going to have to put them down. Yep. And you have that. It's a great, very important conversation to have when you're getting pets. And it's also useless. Like once we had them for like a month or two, like the number I think went up a little bit. (laughs) Um, But so we, the next morning I take our other cat Frankie in to get spayed and uh, the doctor calls at some point that morning and, and she's like, Hey, uh, you know, have you noticed anything weird with her behavior lately? And I was like, well, no. Uh, and she's like, you know, she, your cat had an ovarian cyst. Oh my gosh. Which I did not know was a thing. The doctor, the vet is like, I've worked here for like 15 years or 18 or something like that. And she'd never seen it before. And so that was, a, it was like the size of a golf ball. The, the, when they spayed her, they took out the cyst and- Frankie was like a different cat after that. We felt so bad. Uh, And then on top of that, I also did not know that it it turned out that Frankie's cyst was a sympathy cyst because then my wife had to have surgery because she had a cyst that ruptured and did this whole thing. And so I literally, there was like a week or two period where I was the only one that didn't get surgery. And you know, our, our, cat that got his tail cut off by me accidentally. Uh, so he had the cone of shame, cone of shame on. Yep. And when our cats, we got our other cat back. Well, they both smelled like the vet and they did not like the vet. So they hissed and hated each other. So we had to, and we couldn't have them like licking or biting at each other's wounds. So we had to put, we bought three baby gates and stacked them one on top of each other. (laughs) So that our cats could not get through a doorway. A wall. Basically. All Um, the while your wife is recovering from her surgery. Yep. So it was, uh, it was quite the time 
for me. The epitome uh, <laughs> of when it rains, it pours. Yeah. So that's, that's my, uh, that's my pet story. I love it. It was, oh, and obviously the whole surgery thing took place Tuesday night into Wednesday morning. And so then I had to show up and preach, uh, after oh, basically not having gotten any sleep. That was, that was awesome. I need to go back. And when did you preach that? Cause I'm gonna go back and listen to that message. And yeah. See go it. find it back on YouTube and yeah. see, see how, how, see how it went. Yeah. I should go back and find it. It was, <laughs> so I'll ask you one more question. Then, it we'll, was interesting. then we'll move on. Um, what is the number in the Besh household of how many pets what, what I don't think you guys are dog people, but like, what's the number of cats? That First you of would, all, rude. Um, I don't say that as a mean. We thing. we is, absolutely have a dog coming at some point. Really? Um, we did not. We purposely did not get a dog yet because my wife and I enjoy traveling, and when you get a dog, there are added expenses or shorter trips that come with that. And so for us, getting cats was fun, but it was not a deal breaker when it comes to travel. Like you just have somebody pop into the house once a day, give them more food, change the litter, and you're good to go. Um, But I, now that like we have a kid on the way, uh, you know, at some point, uh, probably within the next two years, uh, maybe three. Uh, I'm sure that, you know, we want to wait until a little bit after the baby's born, but we'll probably get a dog here at some point because we do enjoy animals. I like it. I like it. Yeah. So yeah. Now you're insulted that I called you not a dog person. Yeah. A little bit. 17 minutes in Derek. You're joking. No, I'm not. Oh my gosh. (laughs) This went off the rails in a big way. 17 minutes in Derek. What are we talking about today? Okay. So we we are going to talk about, we're going to talk about pets in youth ministry. Yeah, exactly. And why they're important. But no, um, I, I want to talk about uh, something that's a little bit more ambiguous, something a little more conceptual uh, about ministry, because ministry, uh, as much as it's a job, as much as it's something in which we do uh, for a living and, and all this this type of stuff, ministry ministry really is a lifestyle. And what I mean by that is I was, I was listening to a podcast about dog training, actually. And ironically, it's about the breeder that I'm getting my next dog from, but they were kind of just telling or they're they're recanting their previous weekend and they had said how because they're a breeding business um, it's one of those things where you can't control mother nature and so whenever the puppies are coming you drop everything and because they're a reputable breeder they have two to three pregnant dogs at the same time and so when they go into labor 20 minutes apart you drop everything you're doing um, to go and try and get all hands on deck. And they just really talked about how, you know, being in the dog industry, whether it's dog training or dog breeding is a lifestyle uh, because it it's, you can't plan vacations always easily. You can't necessarily account that, well, it's five o'clock, so I'm just going to be done with this. And so it, what are you laughing at? I did, Well, I'm laughing at two things. First of all, I didn't know where you were going and how you were going to tie this in for a while. And I just figured it out and I like it. And You're now welcome. I ruined it because we, I interrupted you. But also just for the record, uh, recant means to walk back yes, a wrong I know, opinion. I know. Recount. Recount or, is yes. the word you're looking for. Thank you for catching my my uh, <laughs> mistake there. You're, it's payback for calling me not a dog person. You know what? That is a, that's a full recompense. And that one I use correctly. That's true. You know what? I'm just realizing that 
I don't know why, but I'm realizing now that I have a ton of really sad animal stories. <laughs> I I won't get into this now, but <laughs> we're 20 minutes in. When I, we can't. I know, but when I was growing up, my family had a dog. We had a cocker spaniel named Max, and he we finally put him down when he was 17 because he was blind, he was mostly deaf, he was not in control of his own bowels, and he <laughs> was prone to seizures that would start stop his heart for oh minutes gosh. at a time. He died 3 times I think before we actually put him down. And I bought a baby goat once and it died two weeks later. I did know that. So all that to say, do you, I, know, you knew you just did. You, we get finding out people past the intense animal stories and then we're like, okay, cool. We're back to the content. And now you just sucked them right back in. So listen, we just lost listeners for sure. Probably. Um, I told you that 30 second skip button wasn't going to be enough. <laughs> But where's, where's, the, the, where's the 20 minute, <laughs> 30 minutes. We need Good to talk grief. to Spotify about uh, lengthening because there's 15 seconds, man. Yep. That's a, you got to spam that thing whenever there's an ad That's in the middle a of a podcast. hundred percent. But no, to, to where I was tying this in, <laughs> Sorry. They, they, they talked about it being a lifestyle of something that like it is just their life. Um, it's not a job in the sense of, you get there at nine o'clock and at five o'clock you're done. Uh, it's, it's whenever the needs arise, you are there. And I think in a lot of ways, ministry is very, very similar. Uh, ministry specifically, if you are a full-time vocational, um, you know, it's one of those things where you never know what your schedule is going to look like. You can plan, you can put things in, but uh, when, when a shoe drops or when things go uh, sideways, you are jumping in and you're going after it. And so um, what I want to talk about today, what we, what we kind of are going to break down here is how do you thrive with that? Because I think when you are in ministry, it is a lifestyle, but it's something that can either crush you or something in which you can thrive in. And so um, an important caveat that I think we're going to, that we want to just mention here is while ministry is a lifestyle, it's important that ministry is not your life. Uh, it's not something in which you just like every single thing you do um, comes back to ministry. Like it's important to have a little bit of separation here, which is what we're going to talk about here. So, um, you know, really, realistically, there's two perspectives we're going to, we're going to dive into. Uh, if you're a pastor, here are things in which you should consider. But then I think what's going to be really unique and really fun is if you're outside of the ministry vocationally, whether that's a family member, whether that is a someone who's a part of a church in general, like what are something that, you know, what, can we offer to you as someone who's in ministry ourselves? Yeah. And I'll add to the pastor one, uh, you know, somebody who might be considering ministry in the future. Yeah. Uh, because, you know, this is something that like ministry isn't just something that it's like, oh, there's a, I was going to say the wanted ad of the paper, but who reads newspapers anymore? Right. Uh, the wanted ad of Facebook Marketplace, um, <laughs> Indeed.com. Indeed, Indeed.com or ZipRecruiter. Yep. Or, yep. yep. Man, if I had a dollar for every time I saw a commercial for one of those two, oh I would word. be a rich, rich man. Yes, sir. Um, <laughs> there were some ministry salary jokes in there that I decided to pass up just for the record. <laughs> thank um, you. Our <laughs> listeners, thank you. <laughs> but I think that... You know, there, it, 
it's something that, and I think we've done an episode on, you know, calling specifically and yep. like ministry is something you have to really be called to. It's not something that can be just this flippant, like, oh, that looks fun. Right. Uh, I'm going to do that because I need a job or I'm going to do that because I'm bored. Yep. Yeah. I mean, that's how I got here, but I'm, I'm more so than- <laughs> just kidding. Um, no, but it, it, it's, it's spot on. And so, you know, how do you do that? If you're a call to it, if you're, if you're in this, how do you thrive? And, uh, these are just going to be bullet points. These are not necessarily sequential. These are not, you need to do one than the other. Uh, this is just kind of nuggets of wisdom that Kyle and I have, have kind of, you know, adapted into our personal lives. But I would say probably the biggest one, which might sound cliche, but is probably just one of the more integral things of being in ministry is it's, it's important to surround yourself with good people. And here is the important deviation here. Surrounding yourself with people within the ministry and outside of the ministry. What I mean by that is it's important to have allies and people who understand you. Uh, I think it's why Kyle and I are such good friends outside of just working together is we understand the ins and the outs of ministry. And so there's a rapport there. There's a way in which we can kind of bond and just kind of be there for each other, you know? And so it's really, really helpful in that sense. But at the same time, Kyle and I also have friends that um, are not in ministry vocationally, you know, whether they're an accountant or whether they're, um, you know, really accountants, the first one you went to, <laughs> I'm sorry. It's just the first thing that came to my mind, <laughs> you know, I, oh man, I don't, I, I have a, I know, one of my youth leaders is like, he kind of used to be an accountant. I was going to say an I, actuary, not, but that was even more wow. abstract. That's even more boring. Why do our friends have such lame jobs? Here's the thing. If you're an actuary, you make bank. That's fair. So you need some of them actuaries tithing at your church. (laughs) What? (laughs) Okay. Um, Anyways. That was an awkward silence because I think we both went, oh, yikes. <laughs> but, but it's but it's a little true. I mean, come on. It's just on know? par for the course. You know what I'm yeah, saying? True. Um, but I think another thing that is super important is to have proper expectations as well. You know, I think we've talked about this before as well, but it just needs to be reiterated uh, that you got to have just the right perspective and the right timeline if you're going to be in ministry. Like we are not in this. This is not Sweet Martha's cookie stand at the state fair. Like this is not- Praise Jesus. They're awesome, by the way, like that that whole business. But Praise God from whom all cookies flow. Amen. It's I think in the first book of Hesitations. But, um, you know, it's one of those things like we need to understand ministry is something that the seeds that we talk about are things in which uh, take years, sometimes decades to really uh, mature and come into fruition. So um, when you're going into ministry, we have to understand that no matter how gifted you are, no matter how called you are, no matter how big your God is, uh, there are still things in which God moves on his timeline and in his timing. And so, you know, we need to be able to understand that we're not going to see our entire city come to Christ in a year. We're not going to, we might never see that, you know, you just have to have proper expectations as I'm going to be obedient to what God's calling me to do. And I'm open to seeing what he does and when he does it. Yeah. And in a culture that is very predicated on instant gratification, is somebody going into ministry for not the right motives or uh, for no motive at all uh, is probably going to get really discouraged really quickly when the results that they want don't come. And any youth pastor 
wants more results than you know you might get in a season. Uh, yeah. There, there's. I pray and I hope that every youth pastor can experience some times where God comes through above and beyond their expectations. But there are also going to be seasons where, uh, you know, you're you're not seeing the the new students like you want to. You're not seeing the life change like you want to. And you know, youth pastoring oftentimes gets the label, well-deserved label of the years of, or, or the, the weeks and months of farming where the seed and everything is happening under the ground. Yep. And that timeline can be really discouraging if you're not ready for it. You know, like my seniors this year, they are some of the original OG students that I had that were with me five, six years ago. They're experiencing things now that I want them to experience in my first year. You know, and like if you, if you're sitting there going like, man, I'm failing as a youth pastor, I'm not doing a good enough job because they're not doing this. You're going to quit. You're going to say, forget this. This is not worth it. And you'd be missing out on what's happening for us in our ministry now. And so it's important just to play the long game in that sense. But uh, something I kind of want to kind of pivot to within this youth pastor realm is a lot of times Kyle and I talk about ministry from our perspective, from our eyes, from, from that type of thing. But in the same way, it's a lifestyle for us. It's a lifestyle for our family. You know, we both have wives. Uh, you have a kid coming on the way, Kyle. I got two. Um, it is a full on team effort. And so it's one of those things where because we're in ministry, whether directly or indirectly, our families are involved in this ministry with us because they're married to us, you know, like because we are, you know, at a youth camp for a week long or because, you know, youth group um, goes until 9 p.m. that night. Now that means that either our wives are with us through all of that or if they're at home after their nine to five jobs, they're without their husband or their spouse for, for four hours, you know, or there are moments in which things get, get passed along. And so, um, you know, it's a full on family effort. And so here's something that I would just say as an encouragement to you, it's important to have a no fly zone. What I mean by this, this is whether it's a time of the day or whether it's days of the week in which you have something going on, you absolutely cannot be reached uh, for this moment because you are present with your family or present in this circumstance, which might mean you turn your phone off when you're present with it within these in these times, um, because you know it's one of those things where. Yes, there are moments in which you have to drop everything to go and handle a crisis, but there are also other moments in which your priority, biblically, is to God first, then your spouse, then your kids, and then your ministry. You know, and so that's not to say you can just say, "Oh, I'm with family right now. Sorry, I can't do anything." There are times where that is different, but there are times in which there might be something really intense going on. But as crazy it is to say, there's even that is not as important as me being present with my family right in this moment. I'll say to you know that that line's probably going to be different for for every youth pastor, but. In, I mean, even like you think about I'm like on vacation, you know, the, the, the dramatic instances where I'm on vacation halfway across the world and, or, or halfway across the country. And I like cannot physically be here for whatever is mm-hmm. going on. Um, you as a youth pastor or a youth leader have to have, uh, I, I guess I'd call it a plan almost. Yeah. Uh, you know, Okay. 
I can't reach Kyle. I can't reach Derek. Um, you know, there should be somebody else that they know that they can talk to in that moment. Uh, you know, whether it is like, if you are, if you are a youth pastor, you might have some of your youth leaders. I hope you have some youth leaders that also have relationships with some of these students. Yeah. Uh, even if like, if you are, you're the senior pastor, you're the youth pastor, it's a super small church in a small town. If you have like deacons, you know, at your church or, or elders or some sort of board, like they're putting them in a position where your congregation trusts them. Uh, because if they're, if they're a deacon or an elder at your church, they probably should be trustworthy. Having those people around you that, that can also take those calls. Like it is, I mean, most of the time it's your job and, and you did not sign up for, uh, you know, or you, you did sign up for this. And so, you know, a lot of times like, yeah, I've got to put whatever it is on hold, but when you've got those moments where, Hey, I, I need to step away. Uh, you know, my, I'm turning my phone off or whatever it is, uh, there, you have to have created, the system, the culture, the setting where somebody else can take a call like that as well. Yeah. Otherwise it creates a Messiah complex for you for one. And all of a sudden now you need to be that person and it doesn't allow you to have a life. And so it's one of those things where there are moments that I think when you are halfway across the world, it's almost obvious, but I think just as, as a word of, of caution, as a challenge to youth pastors, um, there are times in which whether you are halfway across the world or five minutes away, there are moments in which you need to be away from the ministry. You need to be away from what's going on. Um, you know, it, it's, there's obviously a line like Kyle was saying, that's not to say that, oh, I'm at my son's t-ball game. And so I physically can't miss this when there's, you know, 25 more this summer, um, you know, but there are moments in which you have to go, you know what? I know there's a crisis going on, but I physically can't be there right now. I will be there in an hour. I will be there in an hour and a half. And it's a case by case thing. I'm not even going to sit here and try to, you know, put out a cookie cutter, you know, framework here because it, it's really what your life looks like in your context, in your ministry. But here's what I will say is that there are times in which you do have to put things on hold. There are times in which you do have to go, Hey, I know we had these plans, but we got to, we got to put a pin in this. We got to put these on hold because what's going down right now, we need to get there. We need to be there for, um, you know, and so, you know, I, I think we're going to share some examples here in a second, but the principle I would leave with you in this moment is even if your plans get moved or pushed back, don't cancel them or better yet, don't neglect them. If you're supposed to have a date night that got pushed back, cancel a meeting later in the week and go during that time. Don't just say, you know what? It's okay. We'll go again next week or whatever it is. Like, Don't cancel, just move because you can't let your family or your spouse or whatever that looks like be neglected because something else infringed upon your original plans. Yeah, I'll share super briefly here. Uh, you know, I had I had a Sunday that uh, probably a couple months ago now that was just really fun, um, <laughs> and it it started on Sunday morning with a youth sitting in a youth student sitting with a youth student in our church offices who was bawling 
uh, you know, because something had happened, uh, you know, he, like he, basically he had a physical injury and he was a middle schooler and middle schoolers don't know how to say no to a physical activity. Sure. And so he played and then kind of re-injured it and, you know, was really frustrated with himself. And, uh, and so just, you know, sitting with, with him, like that's, that's ministry. Yep. Uh, you know, after our, Second, we have two services on Sunday morning. After second service, I had a student come up to me like, hey, can can we talk? Uh, which resulted in a hour and a half conversation in my office uh, after church, um, you know, talking with a couple students and just kind of walking through some, some mental health uh, conversations. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so finally getting the opportunity for my wife and I to go home. Uh, it was a beautiful day out. And so my wife was really looking forward to uh, just being outside in the sunshine, uh, you know, doing some stuff, uh, in our yard. And, uh, we got home and, uh, we were in the middle of finally eating lunch at like two, one 45 in the afternoon. Yep. And, uh, we got a call from a student who was, you know, kind of going through a crisis and, and wanted to come and talk with my wife. And so, quick wrapped up lunch student came over and her and my wife had had a conversation for, you know, she was over for probably close to two hours. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, uh, we got a chance to eat dinner together, uh, my wife and I, and then we were going to do a bonfire. Uh, and you know, we really wanted to have s'mores yep. over the bonfire. Yep. And just as we are roasting our s'mores, I get a text from another student uh, you know, kind of the other side of what had happened with student number three. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, it's saying, Hey, can I, can I come over and can we talk? And so then he comes over and literally what happened was my wife got her s'more cooked and she went inside and ate it by herself Mm -hmm. with our cats, Mm -hmm. uh, while I talked outside with this student Mm -hmm. and, and it just like, that sucks. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, what we did was, okay, the next night we had another bonfire and got to sit outside just the two of us yep. together and make, right. it, I don't know. It was, you know, within the next couple of days, I believe, uh, you know, we had another bonfire and got to make s'mores and, uh, you know, had the actual bonfire experience, but you know, there are, you're, you're going to have days like that in ministry. Yep. Um, and it threw off a couple plans. Now I cannot, bring back the great sunshiny day for my wife to spend outside. But, you know, I can reschedule that, that bonfire where we can uh, just kind of connect as a couple. Yeah. And I think that's where if you're in that camp of an aspiring youth leader or a youth pastor or really any pastor, I think these are are questions that you have if you have a significant other, um, or if you're if you are a youth pastor, but you're you're in the you're in the market, you're dating, you're you're doing that type of thing. These are all questions you kind of gotta you kind of gotta have on the forefront because you know while while that is something that stunk and you're going like man, well there goes the day. It's what you signed up for, you know. It's what you and Michaela both agreed upon when you said yes to each other and yes to ministry, and so. Um, as Kyle was saying, it's your job now to not not let that go by and not just say, oh, we'll do it a different time and just never plan it, but like being intentional about, you know, coming back and doing that event. But it is something where, again, it goes back, it's a lifestyle. You know, this is, we, we did this because 
it's those conversations while the timing was not ideal, those are conversations that needed to happen. And those were moments that needed to be shared. And so it's, it's one of those things where you just, you gotta, you gotta press in and just make the best of it. And so, uh, just two more things we want to mention here within the pastor side of things, um, a little less related to the family side of things, but still important, um, our growth for yourself and not just for your ministry. Something that I think God was kind of working on my heart in the last uh, couple of months is, um, you know, when you're preparing a sermon, you got commentaries out, you're digging into the word, you're digging into the Hebrew and the Greek, and you're doing all this stuff for the messages. And something God was saying is, why don't you do that for yourself? You know, like, don't just do your devotions and do that, but like study my word for yourself to know me better, to know who I've called you to be. Like, don't just study hard when you have to present it to somebody. Like study and grow for yourself um, because your ministry will benefit from that at the as as an overflow. Yeah, that might be. I mean, I remember hearing, uh, you know, in school, things like, hey, make sure that your personal devotional time and your sermon prep time aren't the same. Mm-hmm. But at being a youth pastor for a while now, that might be one of the biggest things I tell somebody that is just starting out in ministry Yeah, is separate, making sure that the, the time that you spend in your devotions is, is for you. Mm-hmm. And, Oh, I, you know, I was in the Bible like all day today, sermon prepping, so I don't need to do my own devotions or spend my own time in the word. Mm-hmm. Like that's not true. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, spending that time just with you and God with no ulterior motives almost uh, is key. And it's not to say there can't be any crossover. There are plenty of times where I'm reading for me yeah, and uh, something ends up in a sermon. Actually, uh, just our last episode, I was talking about Mark chapter four and that was a sermon that I had done. My wife and I uh, studied Mark chapter four for the Bible study that we're mm-hmm. in, you know, four or five weeks before that. Yeah. And so it was, it, you know, God, God's going to work some of that the way that he does. Right. But don't neglect your own. I, I love that point. Like don't neglect your own growth just because you think that, well, I've been studying the Bible and diving into it for my job that counts just the same. As you were saying that, I just kind of had like this, this, I guess, illustration that came to my brain is like, um, you know, there are times like when we're out, you know, doing a a ministry event or this is even back in my BMX racing days. I mentioned that an episode ago um, where we had to sit out there and grill burgers for people all day during the races. And if you've ever like served or prepared a lot of food for a lot of people, it's one of those things like, you are so busy doing it. You're 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 not eating because you're working, and so you get all done, and you've been surrounding yourself with like food all day, and you're just like not eating for yourself, and nothing sounds good because you've just been around food all day. But you know, in the same way, like you need to eat for yourself because if not, you're gonna you're gonna like pass out. And so I think as you were just kind of describing that. You know, if you if all you're doing is is studying the word and not doing it for yourself, you're just you're preparing food for other people and you're not eating yourself. And yeah. it's only a matter of time before you're gonna realize you're starved and you are like just not growing for yourself. And so that's such a good point. I think it's I think there's a natural tendency and temptation there to mix the two. And I think as you alluded to, there's a lot of times in which 
your your sermons will benefit from your own personal growth. And in in, in the same kind of vein, uh, I think it's so prudent for youth pastors, leaders of any type, um, find someone in your life that can mentor you. Yeah. Um, you know, someone that might be, I would even say ministry or not ministry, do them both, you know, um, you know, find a, a person that is doing things better than you is farther ahead of you has been doing it for longer than you in your ministry context. But heck, like there, there's, there are people that are mentoring me that, that are in no way, shape or form in ministry, but they are just crushing it as a business. They are crushing it, um, you know, as, as a husband or a dad, like there are so many people that can just mentor you. And we live in a day and age where you know this to be true as our listeners. There are a lot of podcasts of a lot of people who say a lot of good things. Um, and they're not Kyle and I, but they, (laughs) they do have things in which they, they can say, but, uh, you know, find someone who can mentor you. Uh, and as you are mentoring other people. Like I always heard, like have someone ahead of you and someone behind you Yeah, in the sense of like, you know, be mentoring and pouring to somebody else, but let somebody else pour back into you. And so, um, I think that'll be, you know, integral to, to everything that you do on the ministry side of things. So, you know, I think it's, it's, it's one of those things we just need to be on top of our game. But, um, you know, as we kind of just like near the end of this, I think if you're on the outside looking in, if you're kind of, if you are a part of a church, if you are a family member, there are things that you see um, on the ministry side of things. And I think there are, you know, given this lifestyle that we have chosen, there are some things that might be helpful for you just to kind of keep, you know, in perspective. So, you know, the first one I would say is, you know, seek to understand, not operate under assumptions. Ministry is not exactly what meets the eye all the time, you might perceive something as a uh, reality. And, 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 and Kyle, you might be able to speak to this as well. But I remember when I was a student, I looked at my youth pastor and I just went, man, that is a sweet job. You know, like they get to hang out with students. They get to, you know, play video games and plan all this fun stuff. Like I want to do that job. And what I didn't realize is there's a whole bunch of other stuff that is a part of ministry that you just don't see. And so, uh, you know, just kind of have that perspective of it might not always be what is going down. So it's kind of be able to kind of seek understanding and not just assumptions. Yeah. Even like, I don't know why, uh, and, and I can't really explain it, but it doesn't matter how close you are to somebody in ministry. Uh, there's still going to be an element of it that you cannot understand. Like it, as a, as a kid, if your parents are in ministry at, you know, if you have a sibling in ministry or a kid in ministry, if you've got a best friend in ministry, if your neighbors in ministry, whatever it is, unless like if, if you or your spouse are in ministry, you get it to the full degree. Other than that, there's always going to be an element of it and and i don't really understand why like i could i right. could tell my you know i could tell my brother who's not in ministry every single thing that i do every single day mm-hmm. and how it makes me feel and all about he's not a therapist but i could tell him how it makes <laughs> me feel and like all of these different things and and he still wouldn't really fully understand yeah. what it is like to be in ministry and so you know if you are not uh, and, and this goes both ways. Like, I think that 
this is, I, we haven't really gone down any rabbit trails today on this episode. And so let me, allow Outside me to, the first 20 minutes. allow me to take the first one here. Um, as somebody in ministry, I think that sometimes this is going to sound really weird on this episode, but I think that sometimes people in full-time ministry forget what it's like to not be in full-time ministry. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, when they hear, you know, your, a lot of your volunteers worked 40 or 50 hours this week and then are now coming to volunteer on top of that. Yep. Um, you know, a lot of your volunteers do not get to go to lunch with a student because they have a job they have to be at that mm-hmm. does not provide them that flexibility. Yep. Um, you know, your kid is sick as a pastor and you know, okay, I'm going to work from home and stay home with my kid today. Yep. That, that flexibility is not something that everybody has in their job. And so I, I think that this, this understanding that I don't know it all goes both ways. Yeah. Uh, as, as a pastor, as a youth pastor, you know, I never want to lose. And honestly, having a wife that works a full-time job in a secular field helps with this, Mm -hmm. but I never want to lose sight of the fact that my volunteers and the people in our church are not coming at this from a ministry perspective. Uh, you know, I cannot dock their pay when they don't do what I want as, as a youth leader. Uh, but at the same time, you know, back to this too, like as somebody in the congregation, as a parent of a youth student, as a youth student, you know, recognizing, Hey, I don't understand the fullness of what this is. Uh, and, and I don't even boiling it down to like, my youth pastor is human. Mm -hmm. Uh, you know, my youth pastor is not a superhero as much as we wish we were, or like to think that we are sometimes, uh, I have missed a call from a student before for good reasons, Mm -hmm. boundaries, or just, I left my phone on the table and went to get a snack and came back and I missed a call. Mm Mm-hmm you know, whatever it is, don't take it personally. Right. You know, it's, I'm not missing your call. And I don't think any youth pastor, I hope is missing your call because they hate you. Right. Uh, you know, (laughs) they're giving people, I think the benefit of the doubt, uh, is, is a little bit of what this episode or this section of this episode is about both ways, Mm -hmm. but you know, giving, if, if you do not fully understand what their schedule is like, what the burden is like, uh, just kind of giving them a little bit of the benefit of the doubt sometimes. Well, even if, if that intentionally didn't take your call, which happens a incredibly small margin of the time, uh, it might be because they are literally exhausted, you know, and like things are just going on. And this goes both ways too. I think as you were even talking, it gives you a greater appreciation for your volunteers when you realize you literally have every right to go home and be doing nothing, but you're choosing to be here with our students. You're yeah. choosing to be here. Like I, there are times where you you take leaders to camp and they are burning five precious days of PTO to be there for the students. Yep. Like that is is huge, you know. And so, um, you know, in the same in the same same stroke, if they don't come to youth one night because they are absolutely just gassed. Hey, like that's understandable. Uh, and on the flip side, okay, man, my youth pastor just seems out of it today. He just seems like he's upset. He just seems like, you know, he doesn't want to talk a ton. 
it's not because they hate you. <laughs> it's because there might be something that you have no idea is going on that is super tough physically, super tough emotionally, really tough spiritually. There's just so much that goes into it here. And I just want to end the episode with this is this is not a, a, a pity me poor pastor thing because this is what we signed up for. Here's why we do it. Lifelong impact. That is why we do it. You will always be your student's pastor. Like it doesn't matter if they're 30 years old or 40 years old and they have kids of their own and all this different stuff. Odds are if you are a good youth pastor and you've had these moments that are defining in their life, they will always see you as their pastor, which means you'll always have an opportunity to speak life, speak truth and speak Jesus to these students, you know? And so it's, it's one of those things I think we as youth pastors, we sometimes wrestle with this urgency of we've got six years. We've got six years to make an impact and that is all legitimate and and you know good. But at the same time, it's one of those things where we have to understand that we also have all years beyond 18 to really kind of make an impact in their life through all stages of life, you know? So Yeah, no, absolutely. I think that uh yeah, the the freaky one. Like I've I've hit a couple milestones of longevity that have always been really important to me. Um, you know, even from you know somebody who starts coming to our youth ministry and at first like they did if they didn't know who the youth pastor was before me, I was like, all oh, right, I've been here for a little while. Uh, the current seniors that I have this year, uh, they are they were the first sixth grade class that I have, which means none of the students that I have right now, this is the first time none of our students knew or, or had as a youth pastor, the youth pastor before me, not to sure. say that like all, you know, you're walking into a situation automatically, the youth pastor before you is terrible, yep. but, but just, you know, to speak from a longevity standpoint, uh, you know, one of the next ones, you know, eventually might be, I have as a student in my youth ministry, the kid of somebody that I had in my student as a youth ministry, Mm -hmm. like that'd be, that'd be awesome to be able to, uh, to experience that someday. But that, that longevity on your end is, and, and that sincerity on your end is what breeds, uh, you know, that lifelong impact in students long after they, they graduate high school. Uh, and, and for me, the biggest reward, uh, you know, in this job is seeing students, former students go on to have a really solid faith, mm-hmm. you know, when they are mm-hmm. plugging in to, to a church community, whether it's ours or they went off to college or, you know, whatever, yep. uh, you know, when they are, uh, passionate about their faith and they are pursuing it beyond, you know, where we took them as a youth ministry, that's, that's the biggest win, uh, for me and something that I don't think I'll ever get tired of seeing. It's why you do it, right? I mean, yep. that, that really is, it, it's, and even if that only happened for one student, it's worth it. It's worth every single thing that you might have to walk through. And so that that, that is why we do it. And it's one of those things I, I, this is the last thing I would say that I think is just really, really helpful is students will remember what you do far more than what you say. You yeah. know, and so we talked about last episode being at games. We've we've talked about, you know, those conversations. Like, don't take this personally, but Kyle, I bet if 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 you were to ask any of those students you met on that Sunday, hey, what did I preach about three weeks ago? 
they would sit there and stammer and go, ah, uh, you could give them the name of the message. You could do any of that. And, and they, they might not, they might remember bits and pieces of it, but they will forever remember in detail the time that you dropped what you were doing to talk to them, yeah. and to listen to them and walk them through this tough part of their life. And so, um, you know, be flexible, you know, it, it, that's why we do what we do. And it's why we, you know, drop what we drop to be there because uh, students remember what you do far more than what you say. Yeah, absolutely. That's good. That does it for today's episode. Uh, if you guys have any questions, comments, concerns, constructive criticism, or unconstructive criticism, we take it all at how to be a youth pastor. How not, not to, my bad. Yeah, we haven't figured it out yet. Um, <laughs> how not to be a youth pastor at gmail.com. But uh, on behalf of Derek, thanks for checking out with us today. And uh, I think it's time that uh, Derek and I go buy more pets. Goodbye. Goodbye.